It's always a treat to speak to fellow designers. Rudy Janssen here from the Event Design Collective. And um, what we found very often is during the recording, we get some really good nuggets. But then we stop the recording. And immediately afterwards, the conversation really opens up and some real nuggets come in. And this is why we decided to create the backstage edition of the Design to Change podcast. These are the outtakes of the conversations after the actual recording. But to make sure that you don't miss those nuggets, you could also sample these and they're labeled with backstage. So enjoy. Really, it was really good. All right, I'll just I'll just capture this as well, so we so we hear this, so we can share this when we're uh, uh, with our colleagues, if you don't mind. Absolutely, no, I I I, um, I really enjoy that that kind of the wheel uh, of fortune, and 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 I really enjoy that that element of gamification in the process, and I think it's nice. Um, uh, you know, you're kind of anticipating, okay, what am I going to get? And then there is that kind of um, okay, how is the next question going to build on the previous one? Um, kind of, kind of, kind of thing. So no, it was really, it was really enjoyable from my perspective. Uh, I'm now trying to think what's happening in my in my mind now is I'm trying to think, did I actually omit something that you know would have been great to share? You know, uh, did I maybe an open question at the end? Is is there, you know, that what what I always feel with these things is. Sometimes you have the conversations and they're really good conversations. And then, you know, you walk away from them and then 10 minutes later you go, oh, this thing I should have said, right? Or exactly. so exactly. maybe <clears throat> here's maybe an idea that I want to, that we could try. Um, have you tried Racket, uh, a nine minute audio vial that you can bottle up a little piece of knowledge in nine minutes? I think you told me about it last mm. time, but I, but I know I've never used it. So maybe, um, and this probably shouldn't happen like now, but maybe there should be a delay between this recording, processing and thinking about it, and then maybe a reflection. It could be anything under nine minutes, right? That's kind of the, the thing, but it's an audio snippet that is made um, public, right? So it's, it's basically like, it's, it's, it's a studio format where you can record, um, um, in a very unscripted way and you don't have video so you just have the audio part yeah it's almost like a recorded nine minute clubhouse kind of session without mm. that's published instantaneously and it's got a, a you know um, a bumper and a leader uh, to kind of frame it with you know very short like two three seconds but it's kind of a fascinating experience to be able to like it's almost like a reflection moment after the moment Oprah Winfrey likes to call that. She says, there's one commonality amongst any speakers across the planet, right? And that's once they've done their interview or their session or whatever it might be, there's one question they all ask. Do you know what it is? How did I do? (laughs) Everybody wants some kind of validation as to, you know, was this all right? Or how did I do? Or there's that... Uh, first of all, you know, self-reflection moment of self, but also maybe that realization that, oh, here's here's one thing that would really add to this that I forgot to say, and maybe we could use that in a you know post thing and just you know add it in that content. That, that's something yeah. I'm thinking about. Yeah, Jeff. I mean, there are so many things. You know, the the uh, you know I was trying to kind of gather my thoughts. You know, this morning a little bit, like ten minutes before before I, I got on the call. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, th- we could take the conversation in so many directions. You know, like uh, I'm I'm really interested in 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 
learning, you know, and events, right? How can events be an opportunity to learn, right? Yeah. Um, then, you know, the, the, the experience with the beta zones, you know, that's really about storytelling. Uh, so it was really, I, I spent like years, you know, really kind of dissecting stories and, 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 and working on that, which I also think is super fascinated, fascinating. Mm. And, and everything is connected because like storytelling is connected to learning, learning is connected to events, events is connected to design, you know, and that's why it's difficult. It goes back to what we were saying in the beginning of like, how do you define even the, these things, you know? Um, and, and there's always like a bit of a push and pull between wanting to define, you know, making it a process, but also then maybe understanding that not everything can be reduced to a pure process and defined. And that's actually the beauty of human interaction and, and, and things like that. Not everything can be quantifiable or turned into data, you know, uh, because the human experience doesn't work like that. We, we, we don't work like that. Our lives, you know, don't work necessarily like that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so many directions, you know, so many things that the. And it's one of the it. so, and in the other one that's called process or outcome. That's the exact conversation, right? So it's about, yeah. you know, some people don't care if you sit six days underwater and then come up with a solution, or if you apply whatever design process, or if you don't design, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, but what we've tried to do at least is kind of. Uh, find the, uh, relevant questions and, and 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 the thought behind this design which you know we're, we're still fermenting on this but um really glad that you you know um allowed us to um um to do a you know first prototype with you as a designer i hope you <laughs> you can appreciate that um I because it. I all of those it. six elements kind of have that worksheet approach that we have there right so basically that's a um so these questions are basically a reflection of a chapter right so every chapter has four elements it's questions to ask principles process and outcome right that's, that's kind of the rhythm of four things and then there's an executive perspective which kind of challenges the designer's perspective with a series of questions and those questions are kind of summed up in another place but that's really from the perspective of the executive that owns that event or that challenges the designer um, and then there's those questions that we looked at which is how do you how does how do you as a designer prepare for the conversation with your event owner or with the executive and what do you need to think about because those are probably the things that they're going to address yeah. that you could anticipate upon and you Absolutely. and it's better you to think be about it ahead of time than to have to do it off the cuff right which also begs the question um would it be helpful to send these things ahead of time or not, right? So, I mean, we started off with that, like um, sending out, um, and what we've done is really kind of done it in a in a type form, conversational format now. So we, you can basically send this out as a little text thing, right? We, we could test that as well, right? So I can send this to you in hindsight and you could like, and because if you answer with a text, it's probably like a really short one-liner or something that you put there as a as a mm -hmm. memory thought, right? Yeah. Uh, which after filling out the five or six questions, then basically gives a um, sends you a quick summary of those are the, those are the points. Uh, but I wonder if the prep versus the non-prep, which one would be the better conversation for the listener, right? That's that's yeah, something I'm challenging in my head. 
that's the tension between designing or over designing you know to, to where, where do you stop in designing you know yeah. the, the the interaction yeah. um i have to say maybe maybe i think we, we um i think that maybe sharing the questions um up front uh yeah. may lead to a, i mean it depends on the speaker really because some people are very good at like uh making it sound like they're thinking about this as they speak right for the first yeah. time whereas some people feel completely unnatural in their kind of reading script and this is a very typical scenario that that, that i encountered many times you know working with speakers um so so i think again i don't think a one-size-fits-all works um but i think maybe just even sharing that wheel yeah might be interesting just to see okay this is kind of the framework that we have so that you know this is these are the topics somehow that that we may end up covering yeah. uh, and that gives maybe the speaker the opportunity to just gather you know that thoughts a little bit and saying okay is there a story there the, the, that I can tap into because um, you know even now when you ask me you know was there a specific example or a specific session now I'm thinking of you know five more you know um, and so there are depending on 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 how granular you want to go with your questions there are things that I may be able to give you a great answer on the spot because it's just something mm. almost kind of philosophical, you know, kind of the way I look at the world. And I, I always know that I know how to answer those questions because it's just the way I think and yeah. the way I work. Uh, and so I don't need to, to gather my thoughts on that. Uh, but then there are some things when you're asking me to maybe share a specific story or a specific experience where I actively need to think a little bit harder right on on how to tell that story to, to mm. make it impactful um so maybe i think just sharing that wheel would be would be a good uh maybe not necessarily even in the shape of the wheel maybe just given like as bullet points so that yeah. people don't already know what to expect with the game and everything but yeah. just saying these are the six macro areas you know that we may cover mm -hmm. yeah i think that that's that, that's a good suggestion uh, and also um, in future, I could imagine that, hopefully, um, you know, we the book would be with the person that's being interviewed. They're already familiar with, you know, like the, the general sense of what it is, because technically that's kind of the the format and layout of the book itself, right? Yeah. Uh, also, you cannot always expect people to, you know, read all of this stuff ahead of time, you know, especially depending on on, on who or what the timing is of these things. Yeah. Um, so this is what we're kind of, you know, working with. My my, my thoughts currently are. Um, and, and this is the link to that uh, kind of conversational format um, that when people hit that page on the book with a worksheet with an AR layer, they can access this. And instead of just looking at the worksheet or filling it out with a pen, they could just have that conversation in a chat format, right? Right, right. Um, so the thoughts now are, you know, design to change probably has two alleys. One of them is the alley of the designer's perspective with the types of questions we were just um, uh, approaching. Um, and then the um, the conversation from the event owners type perspective, uh, meaning they might have different things in their mind, uh, and they might not consider the designer's perspective. So this is also also a way of being in your perspective, but having an opportunity to appreciate someone else's perspective. And by listening yeah. to multiple stories, hopefully that develops the it's like like memory training or muscle training i guess of <laughs> muscle memory conversation yeah. dexterity right from two angles <laughs> yes um also for ourselves right so it's it's um um you know we've, we've come up with the questions because we've had so many conversations about this in the past 
And we feel yeah. like it's just, if it's not being addressed and not being bottled up somewhere, you know, others might have to go through the same painful things uh, that they might now have a little bit more, you know, access to or have a way to, uh, uh, to look at in a different way. No, um, it's, as you said, it's always about, it's all about listening, you know, even when, you know, how do you work with event owners, etc. you know, trying to yeah. understand each other. Yeah. That's really, that's really key to everything because, you know, we can't be in the other person's mind, but we can try yeah. to really understand where they're coming from. And that's not necessarily something that shines through in the first conversation, right? Uh, so maybe the first conversation is just about establishing trust and, and, and opening that, you know, getting that conversation started. Uh, but it's a long process. Uh, and, and, and of course, you know, that, as you said, you know, there are two different case scenarios. One is where you work for the same organization. And so you build trust much more easily over time uh, because you're also working on many other projects with the same with those very people yeah. um, or you build but conversely you build the same biases with those people right over time well you lose that uh, sharpness of, of pushing right yeah. yeah 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 or you get boxed in and you say uh, you know I had that experience for example when people looked at me and said okay you're just a person that does like visuals and because because people had to box me in, like as you said, like we need to have that label, right? To just put people somewhere in pigeonhole and yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they say, oh, designer, they see designer, and that some people, not everyone, unfortunately, but some people still have that idea, oh, design, pretty things. Graphic design, yeah. Oh, you so you yeah. do graphic design, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and fine. Okay, so I don't really need to talk to you unless I need a logo or unless, you know, we need to actually design a backdrop or whatever. Okay, fine. Then who are you? Okay, you're logistics. Okay, so you're the person that does like microphones and chairs and, and, and whatever and contracts or whatever. And so people have this like need to scan the environment very, very quickly and to put you in some kind of box very, very quickly. And I think that uh, and it's natural and it's human. So it's not something that I think we should complain about, <laughs> but, um, uh, but it's something that the, you, you as a designer, I think you need to, you are probably in the best position because it's part of what you do, understanding your users. Yeah. It's, it's one of your ethical, it's core to what a designer does. And so instead of getting frustrated, you need to ask yourself, how can I make this challenge, this relationship, part of my design process yeah. because we usually apply the design process to the event itself or in my experience to the session itself uh, but then the, the stakeholders sometimes go beyond that specific session so you'll and I think design as, as, a, as, a, as a methodology as a set of tools is incredible and I think if you but we don't always apply it when we need to apply it <laughs> and so I think those are some of the latter chapters of how do you put it on the agenda how do you yeah. claim the time to actually do it, right? Yeah. Uh, people might not want it, but they need it, right? How do you get that across? And how do you then also take, then that's part of, you know, taking it out of the, you need a designer to do that To You need a team of people with different thinking to look at the problem in a different way in order yeah. to then come up with ways in which you could do it, which then allow you to, um, to come up with the prototype that it's going to work best, right? And I think this is where I think the the inclusive thinking of various viewpoints, multi-stakeholder viewpoints, is probably one of the sharpest tools the designer can put into that agenda. Yeah, no, and to, it's not, it's to not claim their own kind of turf, but to say, no, listen, uh, 
it's not just the speaker or me that's going to determine what this is. You know, six or seven people are going, you know, there, there's a way we can crack this like this. Shall we take the time, right? One <laughs> percent of the total time of your 500 people in the room uh, for one hour to just do that little thing, right? And I think yeah, that's yeah. that's part of the kind of toolkit that we um, uh, see to be very effective, but still it's very hard for people to credibly claim that time, right? So yeah. that's one of the hardest things for people. And then if you have the skill set to do, to do it, but you cannot get approval to apply it, that's possibly even more frustrating, right? Yeah, no, but definitely, I think that 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 understanding of who you're dealing with is absolutely crucial, right? You need to, um, you know, you need to be able to actively listen and see, okay, what's on this person's mind? What is the key, right, that will help me to establish that common ground with this person? Because ultimately, you are working towards the same objective, right? And so you want them to be success successful just as much as they probably want you to be successful. They're working with you or you're part of the mix somehow. Clearly, you know, there is a common objective. Uh, but I think sometimes, you know, culture gets in the way, uh, business, um, you know, what we equate with success or good business practices get in the way. Um, language gets in the way as well. Sometimes, you know, both ways, right? Sometimes, you know, maybe event owners will have a language that won't resonate with designers and vice versa, designers also. And as a linguist, you know, I'm painfully aware of that, you know, design language can also be mystifying to people that are outside of the design industry. Um, you know, even terms like intentionality or um, empathy, inclusivity, just design, design thinking, you know, all these things, you know, to a lot of people are just like mumbo jumbo. Uh, like so, a nebula somewhere like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, or it doesn't click with my language, right? Yeah. And even 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 the, the very word design, I mean, it can mean so, so many different things. And so the first thing that we need to assess as well as designers is what language do I need to use? Am I talking to peers? Am I talking to other designers here? And so I can I can use a specific type of language. Or do I need to change my language as well to a certain extent to make sure that the message gets across in the right way? So there's a lot, there's a lot of like um, understanding, really. Understanding is really the foundation for, for everything. Because um, if you don't speak the language, you don't belong, right? That's exactly as an example. No, and I'm sure having, you know, speaking multiple languages, but also seeing multiple people struggle with language as an interpreter, but also. I mean, I know what it's like not speaking the language as well as you should, right? In multiple countries. Yeah. Uh, or totally. could really, uh, you know, trust and belonging are immediately jeopardized if the language is not adequate or not right, right? Doesn't fit in. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why, for example, going back to that idea of what are the first principles of collaboration? How do we want to work together? Then uh, modalities is also uh, could be it could be one of those first principles. Like, how do we want to work together? Do we want to meet? Do we want to uh, do this over Zoom? Do we want to do this by email? Do we want to use Slack? You know, what makes you feel more comfortable in sharing information with me? And if you see that language can be a barrier, for example, or that you're working with people that are more introverted or, you know, whatever, whatever the 
context may be, but maybe integrating tools like Slack where people have a bit more time to digest information, think it through, write it properly, read it maybe at a time that's convenient to them, not in the not not to respond exactly. because you have the question in front of you, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's 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 crucial. And and I have so many examples where, particularly at the beginning, when I was when I was you know starting out in in design, I was so so focused on my design process you know on, on making sure that my brief was filled out you know and imposing that on people um and then sometimes that's really the wrong the wrong approach you know um because you're fighting you know you get into a sort of dynamic where you're actually fighting against people rather than working with them and and going on the same journey together so over time i kind of started seeing design more as a um uh as being about facilitation right you know how can i facilitate this process or this change somehow using my skills whether it's design whether it's language whether it's writing whether it's you know producing visual products or artifacts of some sort uh all these things all these ingredients you know have to be part of the mix um and uh and just just on terminology specifically there is i was just watching a video um and so a, a few a few days ago where where you know this creative video producer was just explaining her process how she works with people and she used a term that i think oh my god i wish i i, I used that in the past because i really liked it and that was creative planning um and i thought that that was such a simple you know it sounds like not much actually, but I never used, I never described my process as creative planning. And I think that that is so powerful. It can be powerful with a specific group of people because it has the planning uh, side of it, which reassures a specific type of people, you know, that you have to work with. Uh, so all the people that want to have deadlines and they want to have KPIs and they want to have metrics and they want to have, you know, every, all those like, you know, they have to tick all those boxes. And, and sometimes when they hear designer, they go like, oh my God, all these crazy people coming up with their crazy ideas, you know, they're just going to be a pain to work with. But if you make it sound like, okay, there's a creative component to this and you need it because you want to create that magic, you need that spark. Otherwise it's just catering in chairs. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you can plan it. Yep. You can make it a process that that is gonna that is gonna get you there, and 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 it's not just chaos, uh, uncontrolled chaos. There's actually a plan that we can devise together, that we can design, um, and so just that term, I think, is so powerful. It's powerful because there's there's two opposites in the in the magnet, right? It's it's the creative planning. Um, we had in that common language as well, right? If you can, because because working together with other people is also it's about learning, but it's also about educating people at the same time, right? Yeah. Because you have things that I don't know about and that I need to incorporate into my thinking, but I as a designer also have things, methods, and tools and skills that you need, right, to to get to your objective, and so um, agreeing and developing, forming a common language is also part of creating a group that's cohesive, right? Creating a tribe or a community or what, or a team or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. A language is so crucial. Yeah. And I, and I think what you're, um, what you're saying is, is, is spot on. Um, so, so someone uh, in, in an event design we did and then needed to deliver it called that the controlled explosion. Right. And it, it's almost like in mining when they were building tunnels, right? Like the Gotthard tunnel, for instance, like, yes, yes, it, it, it is a controlled explosion because there's an intent as to what, you know, explosions 
by definition, could not be controlled unless you're the miner or you're the explosion expert that knows how to contain that within its radius, right? And, exactly. And exactly. I also like that because she was she was like she was the on the extreme logistics action side that you were describing. But she had now developed a deep appreciation for the design side of being able to explore options because she could see the excitement and impact of what it did yeah. to the event. And she did call it a controlled explosion with respect for those that designed the intent of the explosion, but she would manage the explosion, right? <laughs> That's kind of the... <laughs> like you have that control, yeah. right? Let me you plan know. the explosion, right? Get out of the way, because <laughs> it no, is going true. to explode when I want it to. <laughs> and look, I also, I also think that there's something, I mean, that's a completely different topic as well, but I think that there is also something that, I think ultimately we are all creative, like we're all given you know creative capabilities and that's what we do like when we're children and then we somehow unlearn that through life because we get sucked into all these processes and systems where we have to tick boxes and we need to pass exams and we need to prove certain things and we need that validation and progressively over time that creative power that creative force is somehow diminished unless we actively work on it right and then and we make it a the purpose in a way about life right to keep that flame of creativity of playfulness going um and to me that was why i fell in love with design you know when i was a linguist i felt like you know i was really good at my craft i was really good at translating i love that i still love languages etc but i felt that you know I, i was getting sucked way too deep into into that direction and then when i when i when i chanced upon upon design it was kind of a new lease of life. I was like, yes, I mean, that really is more than just a job. It's more than just a skill. It's really the way you look at life, the way you look at problems, the way you frame things, the way you collaborate with people. Design, if you really look at it with a capital D, can be everything, you know? It's really all encompassing because it's about people and doing things for people with people. And that's life, really, if you think about it. So um, so design can be, can, be, can be so powerful and everybody is creative, but you can't, as a designer, you shouldn't take that for granted. You shouldn't assume that people are coming from the place that you're coming from and so you just need to be intentional about okay what can i what what am i getting from this person mm-hmm. how how profoundly can i understand them what how far can i go in trying to understand where they're coming from and how can i then uh, adapt my approach to be able to work successfully with these people and and make sure that we understand that we have the same objective yeah. Uh, that's really all it boils down to, and and it, it's it's simple and complicated at the same time. Is you know with a lot of things in design, they sound simple, and then when you actually do them, <laughs> there's actually a huge level of complexity there. But but it's interesting. <laughs> it's um, uh, a couple of days back, I was thinking about this. Um, you know that um, events are to humans what the internet is to computers. Right? It's 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 a network of networks. We have some kind of an operating system or a way to talk to each other, or to understand each other at least, or at least to transmit things, right? Whether it's understood is a different thing. Um, but the, you know, the protocol we use back and forth is, is, is part of that. And it's, it's almost like events are, because they're transversal across any of these different types of subjects, it's subject agnostic, actually. Um, but it connects humans in so many different ways. And it's... Uh, um, I think that's that's why it's so it's so mind bending what the options are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's it's probably like if if you're just dabbling in this field, it probably feels like you know 1992 for the person that switched on the internet for the first time, <laughs> and and you yeah. know not having you know not having a a clue as to what it could do if you you know toy with this for 20 or 30 years. Um, uh, you know, doing the 25th anniversary yeah. for the Internet Society and, and thinking about that delta between then and now. Yeah. But also what COVID is doing to how we do events or whatever it might be. These are these are fundamental um, thinking challenges that I think are very exciting. Yeah. So what do you look most forward to with Canva that you're going on that next thing? What, what's what's the what's the thing that let's say. Well, the Canva, I'm going to be working for the Canva Foundation. And so the objective of the Canva Foundation is to really, um, is, is two, two things. One is to help nonprofits elevate their visual communication. And so really using design to communicate about what they do, right? And bringing about change um, in the world. Uh, so that's something that is incredibly, incredibly exciting. Um, and then secondly, it's really about um, developing projects um, in developing countries to help young people get into the creative economies. Uh, and so in a way, it's a way for me, you know, the way I think about it is a way for me to also give back and share uh, my love for design because design has been so transformative in my life. And I think it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to trying at least to do the same for other people that maybe can 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 um, can get into design or into the creative economy and really and really see that change happen in their lives as well powerful stuff when would be a good time to reconnect when you're settled into that role and look at what the horizon looks like then because i'd like to set it kind of a next marker of change and then maybe look back at this and look where we both are right yeah. Um, well, I'm so I'm going to be starting working with them uh, in in July at the end of July, uh, but then I'm going to be still based in Switzerland for a few months because you can't really. Um, it's very difficult to travel um, into Australia at the moment. Mm. Um, I tentatively and and I'm saying this like underlining it uh, very very tentatively. I think the day uh, I, I think I should be in Australia if everything goes well um, towards the end of the year towards kind of mid-October yep. uh but COVID COVID permitting that's that's <laughs> set the anchor out how about a year from today let's say let's let's throw a wide anchor out right and, oh and, God, yeah. and let's see what happens if we uh, reconnect then I'll, I'll make a marker in the agenda you know, it kind of it kind of reminds me of of, of um, once I did this simulation uh, with a foundation called the Crossroads Foundation, mm -hmm. and they were kind of recreating, um, you know, the experience of being a refugee, right, of living in a village, and some, and suddenly, you know, kind of becoming a refugee, having to flee your town uh, because of violence, mm -hmm. um, and seeing your life, you know, being completely upended. Um, and something very powerful that they did is that they, you know, we were all kind of emotionally shaken after after the simulation because it was very uh, upsetting. Uh, and then there was a, a powerful moment of like reflection where we reflected both, you know, individually by ourselves and then, you know, having that moment of, of catharsis, you know, and sense making with the, with the entire group. Um, and then we jotted down a few thoughts, you know, about that experience and what we wanted to do and on a postcard. And then the idea is that we would send that postcard to ourselves and we would get it a year later. And then a year later, you would actually see, okay, have I actually done anything 
um, in this space? Or what has changed for me in the meantime? Do I still feel the same? Uh, how has this experience kind of maybe changed the way I feel or the way I've, I've, I've things I've done um, over the past 12 months? And I thought that that was a very powerful uh, little little thing, you know, to just reconnect you to, to that experience, to that moment in time. It's like a message in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So here's, here's an idea. Um, I just dropped you the link with the Horizons of Change element. Um, it's only the, it's the same seven questions. Give a very brief answer how you look at it today. And then we'll unbottle that message a year from today. Uh, and then we'll reflect on that, um, if you like. Um, yeah, the like other that. thing I'm, 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 I'm experiencing now is that um, we did the formal recording, which was fun, right? But the after conversation is probably... <laughs> hitting even more nuggets right so it, it's See? almost like you could have two tracks right saying okay do you want to see the formal interview or do you want to see the after interview <laughs> would you yeah, be okay yeah, with that because it's it to, to me it's about prototyping and testing how these things work right i think that would be interesting to see which gets more traction than what people react on maybe that could be a trick you know you may trick people into doing something that's super formal and super structured and that could be just a warm-up and then the real thing that you're actually interested in, you know, is what happens afterwards when people have already got that brains and gear, you know, and they're kind of, they're now ready to make new associations and, and share even more, you know. That, and it's actually something I, I first came across in, in that way. Uh, actually, World Economic Forum was very early on with uh, social media and with the live streams. Um, what I noticed, you had the formal presentation on stage, which, okay, that's, yeah, it was very good and it's, 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 but it's the formal component. And then you had the, you know, after stage moments in the social media corner, reflecting on the conversation, you know, more a journalistic style or much more conversational style, which actually gave very important and very, very good insights. Also um, more the personal kind of, you know, view of that uh, situation. But it's also, you know, it's something that it was new at the time. I remember like this project 12, 10, 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and quite, quite, you know, that's also people need to be prepared for that, right? Like, because when they're off board from the formal stage, you know, their adrenaline may be up and they may be saying things that they, you know, in certain roles might not want to say or, you know, wouldn't be, um, it's like it's, it's less curated, so to say, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it also has a risk factor in it. But I really enjoyed seeing that happen and then i'm also amazed at how few people apply that in events today right it's not something that's stuck really tv yeah. does it but events are not very proficient at it no that's true that's it gets true. cut loose from the event and lands on clubhouse or some other place where the conversation carries on in a completely that, different context but that's the thing i think that the 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 from in my experience, what I see is that sometimes we have this like approach where we over design. So for example, I mean, beta zones were very, uh, very uh, designed, you know, sessions, right? Because, you know, there were cameras involved. Uh, we would work for weeks on crafting the script, the message and brainstorming on that, on the storytelling mm. side of things and developing all the visuals, the backdrops. Um, we would also design a soundscape, right? So that when people would walk into the room, they would see this animated 
backdrops on a huge screen and then sounds as well we would play with the lighting just to set the mood yeah. exactly just to just to set the mood and and get people already thinking about you know the the the, the topic of the session you know and feeling uh in a more instinctive way connecting with it on a more instinctive level um and then you would have the 15 minute talk you know which was obviously rehearsed and 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 and, and, and designed in that way uh, and then you know a q a with the with the with, between the speaker and the moderator uh which was you know semi spontaneous because um i mean depending on the speaker and the moderator some would meet up you know beforehand and they will maybe say okay maybe this is what we can talk about sometimes it was like they will meet for the first time on stage you know and it was more less kind of scripted mm -hmm. um but but that was a very overall it was a very designed environment yeah. um and the pity was that you know then people obviously right after the end of the session a lot of people in the audience wanted to connect with the speaker right uh and we would always kind of, you know have to rush people out of the room because there was the next session. next thing yeah, yeah. yeah move the, the speaker thing. out of the room <laughs> exactly and that was but, all of it always almost that awkward moment and that's where the connection was really happening right you know yeah. between the speaker and the audience and it was a bit of a pity that the the the, the, the for example there wasn't a space um for uh, a designed space where undesigned conversations could actually yeah. then continue and happen so obviously um, offboarding after the formal part that actually opens everyone up for the connection right? exactly exactly and actually that's that's probably one of the premium live experiences that why people would go to these places right because you might especially in online spaces that's not very orchestrated structured or sometimes even desirable for people right who just get off a presentation they just want to you know they need to do something different then yeah whilst a conference brings you to that peak or the session brings you to that peak opens you up for it the right people connect to the common care and then you need to just have space for those conversations to happen right for the offboarding yeah. conversations for the speaker but for the onboarding of the connection yeah and for that you need you need space you know and and this is where it, again it becomes a complex like interplay of things because it's about having the right space to do it um, maybe having the right technology as well um you know something that i'm really really interested in you know the the it's a company based in in montreal if i remember correctly called brain date mm -hmm. um, and they really allow small groups of people to basically initiate sessions you know as, as a participant you can say hey i'm interested in i don't know vr in education um or I, or I have a more specific question you know is anybody interested and when do we guys want to meet you know shall we do 1 p.m you know at the at the lounge or something yeah. and the and, topic and, becomes the magnet and then people connect to the topic yeah. exactly and and that's it that's that's really a session that is designed by the participants for the participants themselves and it's important yeah. to create the spaces and the time as well for people to be able to create those moments for themselves rather than having this approach of i have a bunch of interesting speakers i have a bunch of interesting topics let me ram all of this down your throat uh for two or three days uh and then uh, let me put you in this blender and then by day three you're so exhausted because you've been so like crammed with content and information that that you don't you know you need a week you know to recover from that and start making sense of that so sometimes i think that the as always, you know, it's that kind of balance between kind of designing something for people, but also then you want to design empty space, you know, blank space 
for people then to create their own meaning within the event. And I think that I don't see a lot of that happening. And 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 it's a pity because people come to an event and they also bring knowledge. They also bring stories. They also bring objectives. And and, and, and it's a pity that that sometimes they have to uh, somehow engineer these moments of connection for themselves. And wouldn't it be great if actually the event organizer helped them create yeah. those moments for them. This is part of the tension between the event owner who wants you know, programming and content because they are, they think that is what they are proposing, right? But, um, and I think this is a, this is a very nice um, thinking point for people to go away and think about how would you have that conversation for the white space and for those offboarding when people are at their prime of having their brains open on the topic to connect to it What's the context space, but especially the motive to get approval or to present that in a prototype that makes sense? Because everybody's experienced this, but somehow everybody says they want to do it, but nobody does, or very few do, right? If they already do, it's probably in you know the meal moments or the after hours or self-orchestrated things that are not part of the official programming, uh, unconferencing, unprogramming, where people address the topics could be considered the opposite truth, but I still feel like a lot of that is very process driven. Yeah. Um, but very, very fascinating topic. Let me ask you uh, to send us the link from that one example you gave us. Uh, if, yeah. if that's something that's visible for us on the on the playlist of the Beta Zone. Yeah. Let me. Or just... maybe two or three others that you say that that, that would be a good recommendation. Okay, okay. To look at, because yeah, I think people would, would then get a sense of context of what, what is the outcome of the work that you do uh, um, in that context, which feels like a very formal context, but actually it's a, it's a week-long disconnect between brackets from the world, right? It's taking the yeah. time to be with other people, to think about other subjects and to talk about other subjects to people you normally don't directly meet. Yeah, and to open up to, yeah. to you know, because the, the idea, I mean, for uh, for the organization was to was to um, bring together people from completely different walks of life, and helping them connect, you know, and and it's uh, uh, super it was hard to do, right? It, it's super yeah. hard to it's super hard to gain the credibility for people to give you their time to do that, right? So that's one. Uh, and the fact that you have that platform also comes with such a responsibility to then orchestrate the time well, right? So yeah. that's the tension that the event owner feels, I suppose. Yeah, you are because, you know, I really like the one when I think about designing events. It, for me, it's like designing um, a world in a way, right? It's a bit like being a bit of a math scientist, you know, and you can do your own experiment and kind of design your own your own little environment, your own little world, you know, in a laboratory um, kind of thing. I was, I, I remember- Microcosm, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I love like, because I think the once on LinkedIn, I saw this this guy, I think, the, who works, um, he designs kind of sets, you know, for movies and scenographies and stuff like that. And, and his title, his job title was World Creator. I thought that was such a cool title to have. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I, I, it's such a great title, you know, to, to be a world, a creator of worlds. How cool is that? Um, and I think that when you're designing an event, in a way, you are designing a world, you are designing an experience for people and you are welcoming people into that. Um, and also give people um, a chance to make something out of it, 
right? So you are designing for people, but you also want to create that freedom for people to use the space how they want to use it. Um, it also allows you to create a an ideal of what you think it should be, right? Because trust and belonging yeah. in your world might be something different from somebody else's world. But also Absolutely. the world you're currently in might not be perfect or might be heading in a direction that you don't necessarily think very is the much right direction. Perfect, yes. And you just create an opposite truth and then aspire to kind of take the bend towards that, right? I think that's probably one of the most powerful, um, uh, let's say aspirations maybe that event owners could have. Many people might not take it that literally, but I, I, I really like, so two terms that, that I hadn't come across in those connections is creative planning, right? That you mentioned and world creators, right? Yeah. Another one I like to use now is, you know, designer of time, right? So the one thing people find most precious in their life is time, right? When you're running out of it, you realize that I think, or at least people tell us that. Um, and so how do you design that, not just for yourself, but also for other people? Yeah. It's a huge responsibility. Yeah, you're a custodian. And the currency of time is, a, is, is what designers technically work with, right? It's time well saved, time well spent, time well invested, or any of the above, right? Absolutely. And I think sometimes the, um, what I see, even as a participant, you know, in events that I, that I, that I, that I, you know, attended as a, as a, as a participant was that, uh, you know, we have this idea of, uh, you know, more is more, you know, more is better. And, 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 and that creates that sense of like that fear of missing out, right. That, that we've all been reading about and we're all aware of now. Uh, but I see a lot of events, you know, still do it, you know, and, um in a way it's it's great at the beginning uh when when you know it's like going into a huge supermarket and you see all these shelves you know packed you know full of stuff and you feel like a kid you know in a candy store and say oh my god that's so that's so much you know for me to get into but then quickly it becomes a bit daunting right it becomes uh, you feel like, am I actually making the right choice? Or uh, do I want to actually take the time to connect with this speaker? Oh no, I have this other uh, meeting or this other workshop or this other thing, you know. The, the, I might miss it, so I need to rush off. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think that, um, and we say not just necessarily in events, but in, 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 in our lives in general, in business, in work, everywhere, like we have this constant time pressure and i think that sometimes people go to events as well because they actually want to escape those dynamics you know um and so i think that re reproducing you know replicating those dynamics of scarcity of fomo um in an event can actually be counterproductive because maybe people are going to the event because they want to have more headspace to think they actually want to have a moment to ourselves where they want to make sense of something what's happening in their industry what's happening in their uh, life Line of business, you know, um, they want to first of all maybe reconnect with themselves, you know, have some time for themselves, um, and and reconnect with themselves by connecting with others, um, and 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 with and that's different others than they normally see. Exactly. Maybe also right. So it's exactly because the context of other people that are in that same mindset create a different world in itself, right? And how they exactly. then communicate, the language they use. 
Exactly. Connection can happen in many different ways. Sometimes it happens, you know, it's what Aristotle would define, you know, homophilia, right? So we are attracted to what's similar to us. We feel yeah. that kind of kinship, yeah. right? So whenever I talk to a designer, I recognize the same language, the same, maybe similar methodologies or similar backgrounds. You know, there's something interesting um, that resonates there with me and I'm attracted to that. Uh, but then at the same time, there's also huge growth and opportunities and learnings um, to be to be to be found in diversity so really um uh, you know breaking out of what you know and and letting the world you know kind of uh come into your life and expand your way of thinking and 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 this is also a principle that applies to not just events but learning in general there was um a um a guy that i follow on on, on social media and and um julian stodd um, and he uh, talks about uh, a key element in learning, which is disturbance. He says, learning is about breaking yourself, right? Uh, because we're all made of like Lego bricks, right? Stacked on top of each other. And that's our experiences, our thoughts, our backgrounds, our studies, the connections we have, the books we've read and all of that, the events uh, we, we, we attended, etc. Uh, but in order to be able to learn, we need to somehow disassemble this construction and either add new bricks or remove certain bricks or maybe just rearrange these bricks in a different way, right, to think about things in a new way. Uh, and he calls this process disturbance. Um, and so, but for that disturbance to happen, we also need to be in a place where we can actually receive it and engage with it. And if we're constantly running, running around like headless chickens, you know, because we believe more is more is more and I pay this ticket, you know, I pay my membership. So now I need to, uh, you know, stuff myself with, 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 with sessions or with workshops, et cetera. Um, then I think that goes to the detriment of, 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 of that learning experience, right. Of really using really getting the most value out of that experience so more is not necessarily better um but that's something that is difficult sometimes to to do in the in the in the events industry and that all goes back to uh having that first conversation you know uh on strategic objectives um and 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 knowing your audience and also the first principles of what it what it is what is it that we're actually trying to do here uh, what do we mean by success? Uh, what would our audience mean by success? Um, and, and what are the non-negotiables here? So if we say, for example, well, as I said, inclusion is a key principle, you know, that to me is non-negotiable, then the way we'll design the spaces and the experience and the communications will be completely different. If we say, I want people to really be able to connect during my event, then that will uh, shape uh your process and the way you go about designing the event in a completely different way so it all really goes back to to those very early stages in the process which is so so valuable um and sometimes we think that stuff slows us down uh and we don't engage fully with it but there's so much in those early conversations that's so precious and it's time well invested up front to save mm -hmm. time in the in, in the planning and delivery to uh, then absolutely. have the time invested when it's happening to be optimized for all of those stakeholders when they're spending it together, right? I think Absolutely. That's the, yeah, that's the that's the core, I think, of why um, um, having an understanding of design when it pertains to change makes um, 
Well, it makes a lot of sense to designers. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's our task, right? Also for, if you're listening into this, it's your task to uh, not leave those conversations to chance because they can shift the direction of change forever. So I think that's... Um, that ties it up nicely. Nice. Let's let's speak again next year, Artur. You're going to go on a new adventure, new horizons. Yes. We're going to bottle up this knowledge. Um, if you could put it into that little type form with five questions, I will remind you one year from today. I'll set the date and then we can always change it because time zones might be very different those time, <laughs> in that yes. period. Uh, but I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for taking the time and spending Thank it you. with the you know people that are reading the Design to Change book. Uh, our conversation happened when the book actually just came out so you do not have a copy yet but it will be with you very soon thank you and it'll be a great pleasure and it's um, i really enjoyed this thank you so much thank you so much